Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Happy 2024! New year, new you, right? Let me guess. You're thinking about joining a new gym, starting a fad diet, buying that... Theragun everyone's always yammering on about, <laughs> I've got a better idea. Listen to my podcast. I'm Samantha B, writer, comedian, and host of Choice Words from Lemonada Media. This whole month of January, we're going to help you make better choices in 2024. We'll go beyond superficial hacks and get at the truth of how to lead a more meaningful life. Just search for Choice Words on your podcast player of choice and hit follow so you don't miss an episode. Now that is a good choice. Lemonada. I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week, I realized that at least once a month, I have to Google Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulrooney just to get a face with the name and get my bearings. I don't know who these people are, but uh, I know who I am. This is Moana Del Sheikhi. And uh, again, this week, we watched Law & Order SVU, which I famously do every day. And I'm Oha Lopez, and I lost my favorite handkerchief this week, and I held a small funeral for it inside of my head as I peed. Hmm. And I hope that that's okay with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Today, we are going to be talking about Mike Richards and the Jeopardy situation. Um, I am so excited to bring this up because I have a very meager history with Jeopardy. I don't know how you guys heard, learned about Jeopardy, but the only time I ever really interacted with Jeopardy is when Fran Drescher was on it for The Nanny on an episode of The Nanny. Do you guys know about this at all? That is no. so obscure. Please explain. Yes. Well, that's that's how immigrant people come to know American culture is we know one thing about it. And then in that one TV show, a world opens up to us. Oh, interesting. I mean, like, I grew up in a black house. And so, and I grew up in the South. Like, even though I spent most of my time in New York, I grew up in the South. And in black houses, it's like every night at seven o'clock, first you watch Wheel of Fortune, then you watch Jeopardy. It's just what you do. And normally yeah. I did it with like a divided plate in front of me, like a TV dinner or some divided plate. Uh, and that's how we did. Like I, I, I watched Jeopardy growing up in, in, in Libya, but because of the time difference and everything, I don't know what time Jeopardy airs here in the US, but I remember it was like maybe at like 6 or 7 a.m. That's like Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy and like some other stuff. 
And I remember I just like watched so many of it. And I was like, I did that only in the summer, obviously, because that's when I was doing the thing. I'm like, I can stay up until like sunrise. And that's the only reason I watched it. I didn't wake up to watch it, but it was there. I just kind of like saw it through the zeitgeist. Like it's been on so many TV shows. Other people talk about it. There's like Black Jeopardy on SNL. But I truly Mm -hmm. had never really like sat down and realized like what a huge deal it is to people. And all of those shows like The Price is Right, all these sort of like daytime Americana shows that have like host after host. I just as an adult started realizing how important these things were to Americans. Oh, okay. I do know this one show from the, but what is the show that Leslie Jones is now hosting? But it was like, you ran around with a shopping cart in a grocery store. and you Oh, Supermarket in. Sweep. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be on Supermarket Sweep so bad. That was one Me of the too. greatest game shows ever. That's the one that I used to watch when I was like a kid in Venezuela and was like, you get to go to a grocery store and put anything you want in a cart. America is the greatest place on earth. Like that was just. I know. I know. You watch these shows and you're like, this place is, is amazing. Did you have like some kind of feeling when Alex Trebek passed away? Like what was your, like, what were your thoughts around that? Cause I was like, Oh, that was a sweet looking old man, but I didn't have like this emotional attachment, you know? I think, I don't know. Like I, I think maybe that attachment grew when I've learned that he was sick because like he didn't just like die. He like he was sick. We kind of like knew that day was coming. And I felt like when when that happened, when he was diagnosed, it became like one of those things where you're like, you feel like part of your childhood is soon to be gone. So kind of like that kind of like amplifies the feeling of how you like feel about the show and feel about him. And I think that really is why people are like so like, I'm not going to say obsessed, but like really like really following the news around it, because like the past year, especially, I feel like we all like grew that attachment to it. Yeah, I mean, he's an icon. So the moment I found out he was sick, I was devastated. I mean, I remember as a kid on the playground, you know, talking with my friends being like, I mean, if Alex Trebek wasn't hosting Jeopardy, they would just have to end the show. I mean, I remember having this conversation because he is that iconic and that important to Jeopardy. So yeah, the minute I found out he was sick, I was devastated. And, you know, when they started looking for guests or, you know, looking for hosts, you know, I I couldn't even wrap my head around who it would be. Yeah, I agree too. I think it's like people are so attached to the lore of the show and it's so like wholesome and sweet that I think people are like, please don't ruin it. Yeah. I think that's why this like whole scandal around Mike Richards made it even so much dirtier because Jeopardy really is like it feels like that last pure, just like wholesome. It is authentic entertainment. There is no shortcuts. There is no cheating line. Like either, you know, Jeopardy and you can get on Jeopardy and you can pass the Jessica on Jeopardy or you can't. And like that's what made it so dirty. Well, just to really talk about kind of like the whole Mike Richards situation, um, my sort of like, I'll say it, impression of him kind of leading up to the show. I'm like, oh, okay, they're going to make like an executive producer of the show who's already working on the show, a host. It seems like like a weird conflict of interest, but I'm not sure. I wasn't really kind of fully investigating. And then sort of like the slow drip of stuff starts coming out. And so for me, I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) First of all, I'm like, who is Mike Richards? I I have no idea. So I kind of went on a deep dive. But in terms of like what you guys discovered, like what did you find interesting about Mike even just beforehand? I mean, 
interesting there is nothing interesting about this man truly <laughs> oh my god Mahane. he really does look like standard frame man like his face is in the frame before you before you put your own picture in it kind of guy you know literally he looks like if someone was like you know like if if you ask like a bunch of aliens to draw what they think like a tv host would look like and you <laughs> showed them like what we have now from late night and all of that and be like put it together and just like Give me what you think a man like this would look like. That would be Mike Richards. When you say that, actually, I remember a toy I had as a kid. I think it was called something like Mr. Game Show. And it was a like a plastic figurine that yeah. sat on the thing and would ask questions. And I bet if I looked it up, it looks like Mike Richards. It looks exactly like yeah, him. Yeah, like attractive, but not like devastatingly handsome. Smart, but sort of like um, has sort of like a... 2% nerdy vibe to him. And definitely, like, I feel like he's just, in my mind, what I see him as is like a, this corporate kind of like Sony yeah. guy. Like, he's just kind of coming up in the ranks. He looks like God created him on like a very busy day. Like, it was just like, hey, guys, you're like, <laughs> you know what a mouth and eyes and like stuff look like? Can you just like build one and just send it? Like, this family needs a kid. Like, cookie cutter, um, could model for Abercrombie, but all the high labels would be like, no, you're not weird enough for us, you exactly. know? Exactly. But yeah, I also realized that he worked as an intern for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, um, your favorite man on earth, Mahana. Very cool. Now that explains it. <laughs> and then he kind of goes on, which is my favorite part, is to kind of host like a slew of all these different sort of like reality or kind of um, competition sort of games. So... He goes uh, on WB and is like doing a reality show called High School Reunion, which he hosts. Then he hosts like Beauty and the Geek and and oh, uh, the real one. Do you guys know Beauty and the Geek? Is this yes, like, yep. very much so. I loved that show. It was bad for everyone. Let's be honest. <laughs> there was a time where every reality TV show in the past was just like you look at it now and I'm like. This is insane. Like, how did they even pitch this? It was the era of Ashton Kutcher. So yeah. it makes perfect sense. I mean, the fact that the beauties just couldn't be smart. It was like, okay, you're a beauty. It means you have to be dumb. And it's you're insane. a geek. And it was like something out of Revenge of the Nerds. Like, they might as well have pocket protectors. <laughs> like, that just, like, cut and dry. Insane. <laughs> no, it's it's truly insane stuff. It's in egregious. the same category as like Wife Swap and, and all of these shows, you know? Or like The Swan, you know, like the makeover oh, extreme yes. oh makeover shows. That was crazy era in America. I loved that time. I'll be honest. I loved it. <laughs> This is another thing that I learned shortly after that. So he's auditioned for The Price is Right to to replace Bob Barker. So he clearly has like a he wants this because like if you've been auditioning for these major shows since 2007 yeah. and you're executive producing on it, like he's probably honestly wanted to host his entire life and has been doing this executive production stuff and behind the scenes stuff with like the vision of maybe actually hosting one of them someday. It's insane because like he's like. Because I imagine him being behind the camera doing what whatever like an executive producer does. And he sees the host on. And the first thought that comes to his mind is, I can do this. <laughs> Should be me. Like, truly, I need, I need the level of confidence that man has. Like, I feel like if I get one rejection, I will just stop. But that man just kept going. Yeah. 
So he ends up getting like a production job with uh, Price is Right. So he kind of goes up against Drew Carey, who famously at the end of it kind of gets the job. And um, I didn't realize there was obviously anything behind the scenes with Drew Carey. I just was like, okay, Drew Carey is the new host. Yeah. Um, but apparently there's this whole, <laughs> there's a whole rigmarole in the back of finding the right person. And then he ends up going to the Price is Right and he's there for 11 seasons on one show. That's insane to me. I mean, I don't know how many years 11 seasons on The Price is Right is, but I always like wonder, how can you work somewhere for that long? I'm a full-on millennial. I'm like, after a year and a half to two years, your girl's got to find new pastures to chomp on. Well, and I just feel like TV in general, like that era of TV, like even though it's this era, but I just think that it hasn't changed much. Like much of the old guard is still in place. And I think that when you get those jobs, it's pretty cushy. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's demanding, but I imagine a lot of those guys for some reason still going to lunch at like steakhouses with cigars. Like I think it's really a boys club. And I promise you he wasn't doing much anyway you know like i feel like you get to a level and you're like this is my job and i'll always have it and i don't have to do much i'll just have to hire people who will do all of the work and i'm just gonna sit there yeah i mean you're so right I mean, he probably wasn't doing much because the fact that he was able to start a podcast in his office while he was doing his full-time job says a lot about how much you know time he was spending on his actual job what would, what was the podcast called the random D-U-M-B show the name. I'm like, what like all male improv troupe is this? Like, that's kind of what it felt like. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll give him that, you know, like he's he picked the right name. It is random. It is dumb. So good for him. Which it's supposed to be like some kind of like the way they pitched it or what I read was kind of that it was supposed to be a kind of behind the scenes sort of look into the prices, right? Which is really that actually sounds kind of interesting to me. But the more I heard the podcast, I was like, this is the Mike Richards show. Like the podcast is him and his ex-assistant and then his current assistant. So those are like the women that you're hearing on the podcast, which to me is already like, bro, they're not going to say anything you're saying is wrong. Like they're not going to say shit to you. They're just going to laugh like politely at whatever hijinks you come up with, Mike Richards, and then they're going to go home and that's going to be the end of it. You know, But that's the point though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, for him, he, he, he knew that and he wanted that. He wanted just... He wanted to say whatever he want. And like, I mean, you know, like he knew the power dynamics existed and he wanted to keep them that way. Yeah, he I think at this point, too, it's like he starts sort of like he's really at this point, like the executive producer after this for Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. So he sort of is like fully moving up. So I think that thing you said about him being like cushy at a job is totally true. And when you're cushy at a job, you also like make things up to do for yourself. You're like, I would love to start a <laughs> podcast for my company. Or, you know what? We should put like a soft drink machine inside of the bathroom because I spend a lot of time in the bathroom. Like that's what happens when you're at a very high level. Kiki, yeah. is, Kiki is like, that is disgusting, but also real. Well, no, because it's like clearly this podcast wasn't like offering any sort of like money because on one of the episodes, you know, his assistant was talking about how she was on unemployment. So it's like, clearly she's not making money from the podcast. He's just doing this as a side project, maybe as a way to like get a sizzle reel so he can get more hosting gigs elsewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to it further, it's not funny. No. (laughs) It's, It's just boring. It is truly one of the most uninteresting things ever, which again, like aligns with the way 
he looks and everything about him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like he took his, like, it's pretty much who he was as, like, host of Beauty and the Geek, and now he's, like, kind of become podcast for him. He's just sort of, like, this overgrown frat guy who wants to talk about things that he thinks are edgy. But again, it's coming from Mr. Game Show Head. So to us, it's just, like, you're just pretending to be kind of cool, but, like, nobody finds you charming. The girls in the room are only laughing because, again, you, like, have more power than them. And that exactly. is why they're laughing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, when he made the remarks he made on on the podcast, which, I mean, we can go through them. Like, a lot of them were, like, sexist, fatophobic, and just, like, like, like anti-Semitic, anti-Asian. It was so, like, he literally just, like, checked every box there is. <laughs> like, I did one of the podcasts, which, honestly, I laughed about this a lot this week, which was, like, Richard's used the term huskadoo to refer to, like, a larger woman. And I, I literally, I was like, I gotta own this, honey. Like, and so then I've just been singing huskadoo to the same beat as Xanadu with Olivia... <laughs> Olivia Newton and I'm just like and then I went full on and watched the video of Xanadu where they're all skating in some continuous mall just look it up look it up it's incredible and there's also this one where he's just like he asked his co-host which Kiki said was his assistant which is like asked her if she ever took a nude picture before which is such a weird question to ask and then he was like what are we talking about like boobies are we I'm just like what like what well, if your boss ever says the word booby to you, and also remember, they're in his office. You're sitting in his office Alone. and he says booby to you. Oh, God. Probably a Mm-mm. Thursday at 7.30 p.m. after work. <laughs> this poor woman is just like in a corner. Her boss is like, hey, do you want to just like stay and record this podcast with me? Already you're like, red flag, red flag, red flag, get out. And the word boobies comes up and you're like, oh, fuck, I got to go tell my friends about this later. And also because he can't even say tits. Like if you're going to be vulgar, <laughs> at least say tits. But booby even makes it just creepier to me for some reason. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, why do you sound like you were like born in like 1920 or something? And this is the first time you ever talked to a woman. It probably is. Yeah, that's right. It would have been funny if he if he was like, so what are we talking about? Uh, huge natches? Uh, little uh, chest mountains? Are we talking, um, what are we talking about? Are we talking uh, mosquito bites or are we talking uh, b- bear malls? I don't know why. Bear malls take the way. They don't give you more boobs. Plus, I'm just, I'm running through ideas here, you guys. Um, but yeah, it definitely just feels like, shut up. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, his whole view on life is just so elitist and classist. It's like, you know, they're talking about, like, a dirty apartment, and he immediately goes to, like, oh, do you live in Haiti? It's like his association with things, it's like, fat chicks equals bad, dirty, you know, equals you must live, like, be poor and live in, like, you know, Haiti. It's like all of his thoughts on life. That's just not something that changes overnight because it's not something that's just born overnight. Like this is ingrained in him. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. 
This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. At this point, I feel like he's sort of like accumulating these things that are later on going to come bite him in the butt because the show is getting these kind of specific lawsuits around, you know, some of the show's models and what they're supposed to be like doing during their pregnancy. And like there's a lot of sort of like nebulous things going on during The prices, Right. And so for me, it's almost like he's sort of like kind of if you piece it together, I'm like, this is kind of like a shitty Hollywood dude. Like just kind of like the attachment with Sony, the forcing people to take less time off after their pregnancy. And then him being such a part of like the leadership group that is ultimately like kind of doing all this stuff. Yeah. He's slowly just sort of like engaging in some shitty behavior kind of repeatedly over the years that he's as prices right, you know? Yeah. Also like one thing that just like you know, I, I came across when I was like reading one of the articles, which was that he wanted the models on the prices right to look like they were going on a date, and eventually the models were wearing bikinis. And I'm just like, what kind of dates were you going on? Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Do you think that's Actually, how people go on dates? I have a response to this mod because I think this is really funny. There is like a like a, I don't know if it's a handbook or like a book specifically, but it, it's like one of those like. Um, like dating books for men. It's like a really fucked up shitty one. And one of the rules is like, you know, like take them to the beach on your first date so you can catch a look at the goods before oh you uh, uh, fully date them. So maybe those are the kind of dates that, that Mike yeah. is uh, interested in. He definitely, in. I, 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 I can't imagine him reading a book about that. Probably like, this sounds like it was like a subreddit, honestly, about dating where dudes were just like, yeah, this is what you do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you just make them wear bikinis. No, I totally get that. And I wonder, because I feel like this is like normal. In my mind, like this is normal Hollywood behavior and normal yeah. corporate behavior. Like, I don't feel like at this point he's any different than 80 of the other like bosses that I've had or people that I've worked yeah. with that have been in his kind of like executive producer position or VP of fucking sales or whatever. Like there's something familiar about him Absolutely. and, the, and like, yeah. the way he operates, you know? And people like him still exist. I think the main difference is that these people know to keep in the shadows. They're just like, 
they're in the background making those big decisions. But I think that his fa- like fatal mistake was that he was like wanted to be like in front of the camera and like wanted to be in like the spotlight. And then that's when like it came and bit him in the butt. It was like I'm like, have you seen like like even people who get like you know picked to uh, be on SNL? The media goes through all of their tweets and podcast appearances and all of that. And you want to host... It's a tradition at this point, exactly. yes. And you want to host probably like one of the most famous TV shows. And you thought no one was going to do like a background check. Just because your company did not do it, you thought the internet was not going to do that. See, I, I, dis- I actually disagree because... I think it had nothing to do with the fact that he wanted to be on camera. I actually believe that like in the last year and a half, we made enough change about like call out culture that in his, like he was fine doing what he did for all those years because that was the culture. He knew that he was going to get this, this position as the host of Jeopardy because that has been his entire career. He's just moved up slowly because Sony, again, Sony really saw him as, like, their puppet. They were like, oh, he's an extension of us. Perfect. And, you know, Jeopardy! had been sort of autonomous for, like, 20 years because it was so successful. Sony didn't really have much say in what happened. But here they go. They have this opening, you know, Alec is gone. And, you know, then the main showrunner retires. And so now they have this opening. Oh, perfect. We can insert our our puppet master into this situation. So he was like, I'm going to get this job. No problem. What happened was we, the audience, got to see, you know, all of these appearances by all the other hosts. And we're like, this isn't right. And we called it out. So that's what I kind of love about this was that yeah. they couldn't get away with this. But exactly. like, But like you said, that there have been like changes in the culture. And I feel like as a, as a company, you should be aware of that. Like you should have people who are, you know, in like are aware of trends. I don't want to I don't want to call it a trend just like be, people being more aware. But like I just can't imagine like companies like this that have like millions and billions of dollars not like paying someone to be like hey do you think this is right do you think we should do this we haven't had the benefit of living with like white male privilege for all of our life like they have just been so used to like doing whatever they do like you know like sam j says in her comedy show like they just be going to space on a tuesday they don't even ask nasa like they just do whatever they (laughs) want they always have (laughs) especially when like everyone around you is just like no this is good yep Everyone thinks this is good. And you look around and like everyone looks like you is saying, perfect. There's a sea of faces with like a half smile, just sort of like nodding up and down. Exactly. But you've been on the other side of that. I feel like we all have. And there is a part of you that's like, oh, I just don't want to make any waves. Why am I I'm going to complain about this small thing? It's not worth bringing it up. This person is who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, like brings the issue of just like, you know, like, having diversity but like having it in like if you have it in like the lesser roles it doesn't really do much because like even if i think it's wrong i I really can't say anything i don't want to lose my job and so i'm just gonna like keep rolling with it if the boss thinks it's right it's 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 right whatever yeah which is why you know again like all of these other lawsuits about women who said you know they were discriminated against or fired because they got yeah. pregnant. Like these, they've been piling up since the Price is Right era because there weren't people behind the scenes like checking them. And so here we are now, like he's like about to like go big with Jeopardy. And it's like, well, no, now your time has come. Now we're going to revisit all of that past 
that you did. And like, that's the thing. Like, okay, people are like, well, how it's in the past. Like, how far do you have to go back? Well, I mean, I think there's like, you have to weigh like, okay, when did it happen? How atrocious was it? But also, what have you done since then? And who are you now? Because it seems like the Mike Richards that exists today is still the same Mike Richards that existed in that time. So yeah, we're going to call it out. So Kiki, this is like sending off a lot of signals in my brain because this this was a long time ago. Like, and I have really been thinking about like, you know, like Brett Ratner, Kevin Hart, Melissa Villasenor, like all these people, Blake Shelton, even Trevor Noah that tweeted things a really long time ago, said things a very long time ago. And for me, I'm like, is there an expiration date on these? Like people do evolve. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Yeah. But you feel like you can see the vestiges and you feel like Mike Richards really does still feel like the same person. And I, it threw a light bulb in my head that like, if he is a part of what we've been talking about, like the culture where that's accepted, like it's in his bones. You know what I mean? Mm, it's like yeah. a part of who he is as a person. But I'm curious, like, what do you guys think? Is there a timestamp? Because this is going to continue happening, you know, where people surface up tweets that they, you know, said a long time ago. Yeah. So I'm curious about your opinions on that. This has to be like case by case, you know? And I think it is, it's harmful to just like put them under like, when people put them all under like the same umbrella, I'm just like, but this person did this and that person, like, why are we not treating them the same? I feel like there are so many elements, like, has that person changed? Do we think that they are a better person now? Did the apology sound sincere? Are they like taking any actions? Have they done any good work? Like, what have they been up to? You know? I, you know, I just, I was in that entertainment field for so long and I've had to work for and with guys like him for so long, it's just like, it just, I know the type. Yeah. And I know that they haven't changed. And so it just, it doesn't, I don't have hopes that he is a different person. It's like, like even when they change, like, their perception to the public and stuff, like, behind the scenes, they're just like, don't really believe it. I'm like, ah, oh, it's the thing I have to do now. Yeah. Which is why, like, not that I care less, but I do care slightly less about who the replacement is. Like I do, you know, of course we wanted to see, to see it, you know, be a diverse hire, you know, if it can be, if it's the right fit. But I really care more about what is happening behind the scenes so that that person in that position can carry out this legacy as they should. So, you know, I know that they had a bunch of people come in, you know, they had, I was surprised by Aaron Rodgers, you know, who was a quarterback for Green Bay. I'm not he like a huge football He was really person. good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, we had LeVar Burton, which was like a fan favorite. You know, everyone was really rooting for him. You know, I was really rooting for Robin Roberts because I really like her. And so obviously, um, and she did really well. Now we have Maya Bialik, who, it, who did get hired, but only for like the, I guess the special episodes, you know, that they're going to do every once in a while. Do you think it's yeah. that they were kind of on the fence about her? Or do you think that that's just her availability? Like, what do you guys think? I think that, again, I think that they always knew that they were going to hire Mike Richards because they were going right? to keep it moving. Yeah. And they okay. wanted to sweeten the deal and be like, and we're going to have Mayim because like we got a woman in place. See how we do. She's a smarty <laughs> pants. Look at her say words and stuff. Uh, I would say my personal favorite, obviously, I'm sure you guys liked it too, uh, is Dr. Oz. Truly, what a... A true gentleman. 
What a phenomenal person. He is a shining example for all of us. A beacon of hope in the dark. A glass of water in the desert, honey. When he hosted, I I had a tear in my eye. You know, I was like, wow, I can actually yeah, do stuff too. I shouldn't be doing <laughs> and I'm not a good fit for. And he brings a voice to all of us. He gave you hope. He but gave it doesn't me hope, matter. Yeah. I'm like, I can be a bad person. Uh, like, not bad person. I can be bad at so many things and can still get these jobs. He was so bad at it. And he's also a not a good person in general. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Ken Jennings, obviously, you know, yeah. should be the obvious pick for so many reasons. Like, it feels like a movie because, like, here is this guy who, like, won all of these episodes. And then, you know, he started, like, being a consultant on the show. And, like, he really is someone, even if you don't watch Jeopardy regularly, you know who Ken Jennings is. And you yeah. just, like... It's like the the story that the feel good story, which is what Jeopardy is. It's like yeah. you can you can do it if you just work hard, which is like the antithesis of who Mike Richards is. And yeah. so it feels like he should be obviously the one that gets it. But I mean, who knows? I mean, who, by the way, can actually in the Nielsen ratings rated higher than Mike Richards did. He was the only one out of all of the hosts that rated higher than Mike. I've watched the episodes that he hosted and he was really good. He was like, even even when they do the, you know, after they come back from the break and they talk to the contestants, he was like very fun and just like saying like, you know, it didn't feel scripted, the humor, like the jokes and like, and, and all of it. And he is very passionate about the show. He loves Jeopardy. Like he's like so excited to be there. And the other guests was like, they were great. Like some of them like were amazing, like fun. But they made for a good guest host, you know? They were enjoying being on Jeopardy, but they're not, like, passionate about the show like someone like Ken Jennings is. Yeah. You also um, mentioned or, or, or talked about just the fact that, like, there was something about Alex Trebek where you kind of felt like he could kick your ass in Jeopardy. Yes. Like, there was something about Alex where you were always, like, he probably knows the answer to this. And with Jennings, you know, he knows the answer to it. Like there's <laughs> exactly. something about somebody who is truly good at playing the game, which with Mike in particular is an actually like on quote saying that he is terrible at trivia and at answering questions and not exactly a smarty pants about it. Exactly. So even yeah. there's just something about actually not caring about the information from Mike versus what Jennings bring to the table, you know? You don't want someone to feel like they're reading from the cards. Like, even though I know, like, Alex didn't know all the answers, but the way he delivers it, you just like, he was ready with the answer right there. He knew it. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere? And suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time. Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Two young fathers are shot to death outside an iconic Utah restaurant. 
I said, your dad has been hurt really bad. The grief was disorienting for those left behind until one choice changed everything. I just remember writing this letter and it wasn't me writing it. Can a personal decision shape generations? We're all falling for this guy's trick. I'm Amy Donaldson. Season two of The Letter, Ripple Effect, is available now. Follow us at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. To finally arrive at the apologies. (laughs) Yes. So Mike does come out and apologize. So I kind of want to go through them a little bit. So he apologizes to the staff kind of in some ways. He also has another apology that kind of goes out to the public. And he's sort of saying like, I'm going to step out of this situation because I don't want to take attention away from the TV show. And I feel like this deserves to be kind of a, a pristine thing. But he also talks about being embarrassed. He talks about uh, people being able to see kind of like these insensitive things that he's been saying and that while he's grown as a person, he understands why they were offensive. But do you guys have thoughts on the apologies? Like what is what vibe are you getting from what he's put out? To me, it was a corporate apology. It hit all the like right stuff and like he addressed everything. Uh, Whether it's sincere or not, honestly, no one can ever know that because we just can't get into his heart or brain to to figure that out yeah but, which we never will be able to really with any of exactly these. yeah so, exactly no one can claim that they know he he meant it or not so i'm not trying to to you know pretend that i know you can always tell the companies that really have like maybe not the strongest sort of like HR department, like the strongest diversity, inclusion, sensitivity team based on like the apologies that come out. That one felt like very like basic, like somebody was like, just put these in and just send it. And yeah. Yeah, I like I mean, there's part of it that he sort of like describes each aspect of what he feels yeah. um, kind of went awry. So he does kind of fully go over the podcast. He definitely calls it um, an irreverent conversation, which I don't like as much. Like what is it about irreverence that makes people feel like they can punch down? I'm not sure um, if this apology is, is really good. I mean, I know he mentions being a father and kind of like, a shift from who he was at that time and and who he is now. Yeah. But honestly, the statement, it, it doesn't feel to me like it actually addresses what actually happened and what he actually said. And the sense it seems is that, yeah, the people there weren't buying it either. And they thought that that apology was going to be enough and they'd be able to work with him in this capacity. But clearly the people who had been there said, no, just because he's not host doesn't mean I still want him to be my boss. I don't want him around in any capacity. And I think the studio realized they had to get rid of him entirely or they were going to have an entire staff that was probably going to leave, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know even going back to, he made comments specifically about the assertions on the show about the pregnancy suits. And so just going back to that particular apology, it is sort of a defense of himself, which, you know, when I think about apologies in general, I think, should you be defending yourself in an apology or should it just be 
the apology because for this one mm-hmm. in, in particular, I hear a lot of people going like, these comments and these actions do not actually reflect my character. They don't reflect like the reality of who I am or I'm not that person. That's not who I am. And I find that it's really hard to apologize without being defensive, without like trying to take away some of your accountability for what has happened, because I think it's like a natural human thing to want to deflect and I'm going to tell you guys, like when somebody approaches me because I've made a mistake, my first gut reptile reaction is like, Mm-mm, not me. Yeah, I did not do that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That was you. You were the one like that is literally how I react when somebody is upset at me for something probably valid that I did. And I do have to like catch up to again, like my values and catch up to like actually thinking about what this person has brought up and I I have a feeling that like all of these celebrities and politicians are have the exact same reaction and yeah. their gut is to first deflect and mm-hmm. then they need time to actually sit down and think about it, which is why the fast apology is a bad idea. Exactly. Um, Good point. Yeah. And this whole thing like just reeks of you didn't take enough time to think about it and to put it out. Um even if Sony Entertainment Television wrote it for you, you still didn't take enough time. <laughs> That's yeah. true. And like, here's the thing, like they said that he, you know, before they ended up just firing him, they said that they were going to put him through, you know, some sort of like, I think sensitivity training or, what, you know, whatever that program was. Now he's fired. So I assume he's not going to get that program. As a studio, if you truly did care about making change, regardless of whether you were going to fire him, wouldn't you have put him through that anyways? Like, it just seems like, oh, we're going to do this. And when they didn't get the response they wanted, they were like, okay, fine, we'll just fire him then. Will that make you happy? And it's like, no, what would make me happy is if the people that you want in your organization, you truly did care if they had this sort of you know, insight, this training, this thought process. And like, it's interesting also in, you know, when they talked about him being fired in this role, what they didn't mention in the article was like, any possible payout. Because we know when, you know, Chris Harrison left The Bachelor, yes. there was supposedly like a five-figure payout. Now, I don't know. I assume because of his, like you said, overall deal with Sony, he probably got some sort of payout. But they don't want to also mention that because here's, again, yes, he's lost his job and he's lost his dream job, which was the hosting, but he isn't really truly canceled. The only people that are truly canceled in this situation are all the women that he fired or, you know, like didn't go on to do the career that they wanted to because of that hostile environment. And those are the only people. He'll still be fine. He'll probably get a payout and he'll move on to some, I don't know, maybe he'll retire. Who knows? And hopefully he himself learns something. I don't know if he's going to keep working like on TV or not. He said he's a father. Hopefully he teaches his kids not to be douchebags like he was. So, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping for for a good outcome. Well, I'm even just laughing at the fact that the the person who's replacing him is also named Mike. And I almost just want to be like, can we just get someone named, I don't know, Kiki, just anything else. Like, just make it feel like you've made a change in any way. I don't know. Yeah. I, I hope that Jeopardy comes out unscathed. Like, I hope that even now that he's not executive producer and now that he's not hosting it, I hope that we can go back to feeling its kind of pristine joy when it does come back. Yeah, I hope so as well. So now we come to my favorite segment, which is Sorry, Not Sorry, where we 
uh, each go one by one and talk about who owes us an apology this week or if we owe someone an apology. Well, this week I need an apology from the corner of my coffee table because not one, not two, but three times this week I have mercilessly stubbed my toe on the same Uh. exact corner. And I'll be 100% honest, I know it's me and it's not the coffee table. Like I need to look where I'm going, but I have a full-on vendetta to the point where I actually purchased a new coffee table. So <laughs> you did? Oh, 100%. I was like, not me. I'm not the one. Not today, coffee table. Wait until you do it again with the new table and have your old table just stare at you and just be like, oh, huh? it has been you this whole time. You should take the blame. That, Mohanad, is poetry. <laughs> what you just said, that is a true Shakespearean play. This week, Bumble owes me an apology, the dating app. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am single. I'm just trying to live my best life. And every time I put up a picture of myself in a bathing suit, you know, everyone needs at least one thirst trap on their dating profile. Bumble keeps taking it down. And I don't know why they won't let me be great. I just want my thirst trap. And so Bumble owes me an apology. What reason do they give you? Like, is it like even like something vague? <laughs> they so I they keep telling me I go against guidelines. You know, in my own head, I'm like, you just don't like fat chicks. But that's my own head. But they keep saying in the guidelines things like no topless photos inside of houses allowed, which is very specific. But also I'm not topless. I love it when it's like houses. But if you do it like in a yacht or something... <laughs> Or like, I don't know, a hut somewhere, like, that's okay. But like, a house, now that's where they draw the line. And how do you know I'm inside? I know. I wonder who these little gremlins are that are off, like, looking at pictures of people on Bumble going like, nope, nope, nope. It's probably an algorithm mixed in with a real person who sucks. The gremlin is the AI. And Mm. the AI does not want me to be great, apparently. I'm so sorry, yeah, buddy. You, you shouldn't be in a house. That's that's all I can say about it. <laughs> this week, I actually owe someone an apology. Uh, yes, I do. I I'm do. so excited. It's, I do not even know the person's name uh, to apologize to them by name. But I'll say this. So yesterday, I ordered something uh, using a delivery service, Uber Eats. Famously, something I do all the time because I cannot cook. And then I got a text from uh, my driver saying that, uh, hey, it was like, I'm here. I can't go to your apartment. There's like no parking. Can you come down and get it? I was like, okay, I'll come down and get it myself. So I did. I walked down. There was this man waiting by the door. He was like holding the bag. But I just took the bag from his hand. Okay. And then just said, thank you and kept moving. Yeah, that's how you should do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, that was an easy transaction. And then I looked into the bag and I was like, this looks like groceries. (laughs) Turns out it was just my neighbor. Uh, This man was just trying to get into his own building and just forgot his keys. And I took his stuff. (laughs) And he thinks I'm a psychopath now. (gasps) Yeah, my driver did not even arrive to the building and I just took someone's stuff and walked in and slammed the door in his face <laughs> yep yep i i did i did do that i just opened the door I was like oh, thank you uh, he waved at me and he waved at me so i opened the door for him and i was just like <laughs> okay 
and he did not fight me. Like he did not like was like he wasn't like what are you doing? He would just like gave it to me. And I was like, I, I, maybe that's he my, thought my that you were helping him with the groceries, and then you just I walked so. away from him. You once you realized it was gro- like, did you turn back around and hand them back to him? Yeah, I I turned around and I was like, I don't think this is mine. And he was like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're mine. Yeah. So I'm sorry, whoever you are, apartment eleven o two or whatever. Who knows if you're listening to this? You know, I, I apologize. I'm sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles Wax and Jessica Cordova Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair, and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. 